Chapter Seven, Section Three of A Practical View of the Prevailing Religious System by William Wilberforce. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recorded by Lillis. Chapter Seven, Section Three. Brief Observations Addressed to Skeptics and Unitarians. There is another class of men, an increasing class, it is to be feared, in this country, that of absolute unbelievers, with which this little work has properly no concern but may the writer sincerely pitying their melancholy state be permitted to ask them one plain question if christianity be not in their estimation true yet is there not at least a presumption in its favour sufficient to entitle it to a serious examination from its having been embraced and that not blindly and implicitly but upon full inquiry and deep consideration by bacon and milton and locke and newton and much the greater part of those who by the reach of their understandings or the extent of their knowledge and by the freedom too of their minds and their daring to combat existing prejudices have called forth the respect and admiration of mankind it might be deemed scarcely fair to insist on churchmen though some of them are among the greatest names this country has ever known can the sceptic in general say with truth that he has either prosecuted an examination into the evidences of revelation at all, or at least with a seriousness and diligence in any degree proportioned to the importance of the subject? The fact is, and it is a fact which redounds to the honour of Christianity, that infidelity is not the result of sober inquiry and deliberate preference. It is rather the slow production of a careless and irreligious life, operating together with prejudices and erroneous conceptions concerning the nature of the leading doctrines and fundamental tenets of Christianity take the case of young men of condition bred up by what they have termed nominal christians when children they are carried to church and thence they become acquainted with such parts of scripture as are contained in our public service if their parents preserve still more of the customs of better times they are taught their catechism and furnished with a little farther religious knowledge after a while they go from under the eyes of their parents they enter into the world and move forward in the path of life whatever it may be which has been assigned to them they yield to the temptations which assail them, and become more or less dissipated and licentious. At least they neglect to look into their Bible. They do not enlarge the sphere of their religious acquisitions. They do not endeavor, by reflection and study, to turn into what may deserve the name of knowledge and rational conviction the opinions which in their childhood they had taken on trust. They travel, perhaps, into foreign countries, a proceeding which naturally tends to weaken their nursery prejudice in favour of the religion in which they were bred and by removing them from all means of public worship to relax their practical habits of religion they return home and commonly are either hurried around in the vortex of dissipation or engage with the ardour of youthful minds in some public or professional pursuit if they read or hear anything about christianity it is commonly only about those tenets which are subjects of controversy and what reaches their ears of the bible from their occasional attendance at church though it may sometimes impress them with an idea of the purity of christian morality contains much which coming thus detached perplexes and offends them and suggests various doubts and startling objections which a farther acquaintance with the scripture would remove thus growing more and more to know christianity only by the difficulties it contains sometimes tempted by the ambition of showing themselves superior to vulgar prejudice and always prompted by the natural pride of the human heart to cast off their subjection to dogmas imposed on them disgusted perhaps by the immoral lives of some professed christians by the weaknesses and absurdities of others and by what they observe to be the implicit belief of numbers whom they see and know to be equally ignorant with themselves many doubts and suspicions of greater or less extent spring up within them these doubts enter into the mind at first almost imperceptibly they exist only as vague indistinct surmises and by no means take the precise shape or the substance of a formed opinion at first probably they even offend and startle by their intrusion 
but by degrees the unpleasant sensations which they once excited wear off the mind grows more familiar with them a confused sense for such it is rather than a formed idea of its being desirable that their doubts should prove well founded and of the comfort and enlargement which would be afforded by that proof lends them much secret aid the impression becomes deeper not in the consequence of being reinforced by fresh arguments but merely by dint of having long rested in the mind and as they increase in force they creep on and extend themselves at length they diffuse themselves over the whole of religion and possess the mind in undisturbed occupancy it is by no means meant that this is universally the process but speaking generally this might be termed perhaps not unjustly the natural history of scepticism it approves itself to the experience of those who have with any care watched the progress of infidelity in persons around them and it is confirmed by the written lives of some of the most eminent unbelievers it is curious to read their own accounts of themselves the rather as they accord so exactly with the result of our own observation we find that they once perhaps gave a sort of implicit hereditary assent to the truth of christianity and were what by a mischievous perversion of language the world denominates believers how were they then awakened from their sleep of ignorance at what moment did the light of truth beam in upon them and dissipate the darkness in which they had been involved the period of their infidelity is marked by no such determinate boundary reason and thought and inquiry had little or nothing to do with it having for many years lived careless and irreligious lives and associated with companions equally careless and irreligious not by force of study and reflection but rather by the lapse of time they at length attained to their infidel maturity it is worthy of remark that where any are reclaimed from infidelity it is generally by a process much more rational than that which has been here described something awakens them to reflection they examine they consider and at length yield their assent to christianity on what they deem sufficient grounds from the account here given it appears plainly that infidelity is generally the offspring of prejudice and that its success is mainly to be ascribed to the depravity of the moral character this fact is confirmed by the undeniable truth that in societies which consist of individuals infidelity is the natural fruit not so much of a studious and disputatious as of a dissipated and vicious age it diffuses itself in proportion as the general morals decline and it is embraced with less apprehension when every infidel is kept in spirits by seeing many around him who are sharing fortunes with himself to any fair mind this consideration alone might be offered as suggesting a strong argument against infidelity and in favour of revelation and the friends of christianity might justly retort the charge which their opponents often urge with no little affectation of superior wisdom that we implicitly surrender ourselves to the influence of prejudice instead of examining dispassionately the ground of our faith and yielding our assent only according to the degree of evidence in our own days when it is but too clear that infidelity increases it is not in consequence of the reasonings of the infidel writers having been much studied but from the progress of luxury and the decay of morals and so far as this increase may be traced at all to the works of sceptical writers it has been produced not by argument and discussion but by sarcasms and points of wit which have operated on weak minds or on nominal christians by bringing gradually into contempt opinions which in their case had only rested on the bias of blind respect and the prejudices of education it may therefore be laid down as an axiom that infidelity is in general a disease of the heart more than that of the understanding if revelation were assailed only by reason and argument it would have little to fear the literary opposers of christianity from herbert to hume have been seldom read they made some stir in their day during their span of existence they were noisy and noxious but like the locusts of the east 
which for a while obscure the air and destroy the verdure, they were soon swept away and forgotten. Their very names would scarcely be found if Leland had not preserved them from oblivion. The account which has been given of the secret but grand source of infidelity may perhaps justly be extended as being not seldom true in the case of those who deny the fundamental doctrines of the gospel. In the course which we lately traced from nominal orthodoxy to absolute infidelity, Unitarianism is indeed a sort of halfway house, if the expression may be pardoned. A stage on the journey where sometimes a person indeed finally stops, but where not unfrequently he only pauses for a while and then pursues his progress. Footnote. The author is aware that he may perhaps be censured for conceding this term to the class of persons now in question, since orthodox Christians equally contend for the unity of the divine nature, and it perhaps may hardly be a sufficient excuse that, it not being his object particularly to refute the errors of Unitarianism, he uses the term in its popular sense rather than give needless offence. He thus guards, however, against any false construction being drawn from his use of it. End footnote. The Unitarian teachers by no means profess to absolve their followers from the unbending strictness of Christian morality. They prescribe the predominant love of God and a habitual spirit of devotion, but it is an unquestionable fact, a fact which they themselves almost admit, that this class of religionists is not in general distinguished for superior purity of life, and still less for that frame of mind which, by the injunction, quote, to be spiritually not carnally minded, end quote, the word of God prescribes to us as one of the surest tests of our experiencing the vital power of Christianity. On the contrary, in point of fact, Unitarianism seems to be resorted to not merely by those who are disgusted with the peculiar doctrines of Christianity, but by those also who are seeking a refuge from the strictness of our practical precepts, and who, more particularly, would escape from the obligation which she imposes on her adherents, rather to incur the dreaded charge of singularity, than fall in with the declining manners of a dissipated age. Unitarianism, where it may be supposed to proceed from the understanding rather than from the heart, is not unfrequently produced by a confused idea of the difficulties, or as they are termed, the impossibilities which Orthodox Christianity is supposed to involve. It is not our intention to enter into the controversy. Footnote. The author of this treatise has, since its completion, perused a work entitled Calvinism and Socinianism Compared, by A. Fuller and without reference to the peculiarities of Calvinism, he is happy to embrace this opportunity of confessing the high obligation which, in common with all the friends of true religion, he owes to the author of that highly valuable publication for his masterly defense of the doctrines of Christianity, and his acute refutation of the opposite errors. End footnote. But it may not be improper to make one remark as a guard to persons in whose way the arguments of the Unitarians may be likely to fall. Namely, that one great advantage possessed by deists, and perhaps in a still greater degree by Unitarians in their warfare with the Christian system, results from the very circumstances of their being the assailants. They urge what they state to be powerful arguments against the truth of the fundamental doctrines of Christianity, and then call upon men to abandon them as posts no longer tenable. But they who are disposed to yield to this assault should call to mind that it has pleased God so to establish the constitution of all things, that perplexing difficulties and plausible objections may be adduced against the most established truths, such, for instance, as the being of a God, and many others both physical and moral. In all cases, therefore, it becomes us, not on a partial view, to reject any proposition, because it is attended with difficulties, but to compare the difficulties which it involves with those which attend the alternative proposition which must be embraced on its rejection." we should put to the proof the alternative proposition in its turn, and see whether it not be still less tenable than that which we are summoned to abandon. 
in short we should examine circumspectly on all sides and abide by that opinion which on carefully balancing all considerations appears fairly entitled to our preference experience however will have convinced the attentive observer of those around him that it has been for want of adverting to this just and obvious principle that the unitarians in particular have gained most of their proselytes from the church so far as argument has contributed to their success if the unitarians or even the deists were considered in their turn as masters of the field and were in their turn attacked both by arguments tending to disprove their system directly and to disprove it indirectly by showing the high probability of the truth of christianity and of its leading and peculiar doctrines it is most likely that they would soon appear wholly unable to keep their ground in short reasoning fairly there is no medium between absolute pyrrhonism and true christianity and if we reject the latter on account of its difficulties we shall still be more loudly called upon to reject every other system which has been offered to the acceptance of mankind this consideration might perhaps with advantage be more attended to than it has been by those who take upon them to vindicate the truth of our holy religion as many who from inconsideration or any other cause are disposed to give up the great fundamentals of christianity would be startled by the idea that on the same principle on which they did this they must give up the hope of finding any rest for the sole of their foot on any ground of religion and not stop short of unqualified atheism besides the class of those who professedly reject revelation there is another and that also it is to be feared an increasing one which may be called the class of half unbelievers who are to be found in various degrees of approximation to a state of absolute infidelity the system if it deserve the name of those men is grossly irrational hearing many who assert and many who deny the truth of christianity and not reflecting seriously enough to consider that it must be either true or false they take up a strange sort of middle opinion of its qualified truth they conceive that there must be something in it though by no means to the extent to which it is pushed by orthodox christians they grant the reality of future punishment and even that they themselves cannot altogether expect to escape it yet quote, they trust it will not go so hard with them as the churchman state end quote. and as was formerly hinted though disbelieving almost every material doctrine which christianity contains yet even in their own minds they by no means conceive themselves to be enlisted under the banners of infidelity or to have much cause for any great apprehension lest christianity should prove true but let these men be reminded that there is no middle way if they can be prevailed on to look into their bible and do not make up their minds absolutely to reject its authority they must admit that there is no ground whatever for this vain hope which they suffer themselves to indulge of escaping but with a slight measure of punishment nor let them think their guilt inconsiderable is it not grossly criminal to trifle with the long-suffering of god to despise alike his invitations and his threatenings and the offer of his spirit of grace and the precious blood of the redeemer far different is the scripture estimate quote, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation End quote. Quote, it shall be more tolerable for sodom and gomorrah in the day of judgment End quote, than for them who voluntarily shut their eyes against that full light which the bounty of heaven has poured out upon them these half unbelievers are even more reprehensible than downright skeptics for remaining in this state of careless uncertainty without endeavouring to ascertain the truth or falsehood of revelation the probability which they admit that it may be true imposes on them an additional and undeniable obligation to inquiry but both to them and to decided sceptics it must be plainly declared that they are in these days less excusable than ever for not looking into the grounds and proofs on which is rested the truth of christianity for never before were these proofs so plainly and at so easy a rate offered to the consideration of mankind 
through the bounty of providence the more widely spreading poison of infidelity has in our days been met with more numerous and powerful antidotes one of these has already been pointed out and it should be a matter of farther gratitude to every real christian that in the very place on which modern infidelity had displayed the standard of victory a warrior in the service of religion a man of the most acute and profound research has been raised up by providence to quell their triumph footnote it is almost superfluous to state that sir william jones is here meant who from the testimony borne to his extraordinary talents by sir john shore in his first address to the asiatic society of calcutta appears to have been a man of most extraordinary genius and astonishing erudition End footnote. he was soon taken from us but happily for him and for ourselves not till he had announced that like the magi of old he had seen the star of christ in the east and had fallen down and worshipped him another should be mentioned with honour who is pursuing the track which that great man had pointed out footnote mr maurice End footnote. henceforth let all objectors against christianity on the grounds of its being disproved by the oriental records be put to silence the strength of their cause consisted in their ignorance and in our own of oriental learning they availed themselves for a while of our being in a state of darkness but the light of day has at length broken in and exposed to deserved contempt their superficial speculations the infatuation of these unbelievers upon trust would be less striking if they were able altogether to decline christianity and were at liberty to relinquish their pretensions to its rewards on condition of being exempted from its punishments but that is not the case they must stand the risk of the encounter and their eternal happiness or misery is suspended upon the issue footnote this argument is pressed with uncommon force in pascal's thoughts on religion a work highly valuable though not in every part to be approved abounding in particular with those deep views of religion which the name of its author prepares us to expect End footnote. what must be the emotions of these men on first opening their eyes in the world of spirits and being convinced too late of the awful reality of their impending ruin May the mercy and the power of God awaken them from their desperate slumber while life is yet spared and there is yet space for repentance. End of chapter 7, section 3